look at nutrition not as specific boxes like protein or amino acid or energy, but in a more interactive way. Welcome to the Rumination Podcast presented by Jeffo Nutrition. I'm your host, Vicky Brisson, and today we'll be discussing sustainability and nutrition, including amino acids, goats, and system models. We've got quite a few topics to address. With me today to discuss these topics is Dr. Isabel Texera, research scientist. Dr. Texera is an assistant professor and dairy specialist in the Department of Animal, Veterinary, and Food Sciences at the University of Idaho. Isabel is originally from Brazil, where she received her BSc in Animal Science from the Federal University of Lavras and her MSc and PhD in Animal Science with a focus on ruminant nutrition from the Sao Paulo State University, or UNESP. In 2010, Isabel was hired as a professor at UNESP, Jaboticabal campus, where she worked until 2022, prior to joining the University of Idaho. Her research and extension interests focus on improving our understanding of nutrient utilization by ruminants and animal efficiency to reduce the impact of ruminant production on the environment and enhance the sustainability of dairy production systems. What a, an interesting background, Dr. Texera. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. When it comes to ration balancing, amino acid supplementation often helps meet nutritional gaps. Can you share more about the role and the importance of amino acids to support the dairy industry's sustainability initiatives? For instance, the impact that they can have on the environment. Yeah, sure. I think uh, balancing for amino acids is really important and can play a very important role um, in improving the sustainability and can be a way of leveraging nutrition to enhance their sustainability. Um, there is the obvious uh, result, that is, we can balance for amino acid, decrease protein in the diet, and we will uh, decrease the feed costs and also reduce the nitrogen excretion. And it by itself, it's a very important uh, result for enhancing sustainability. But I like to see sustainability in a more uh, holistic way consider the different pillars of sustainability. And we see and we know now that amino acids can play a role on the protein, uh, milk protein synthesis, milk fat synthesis. And then we are talking about um, profitability. That is another pillar of the sustainability, right? So um, one, of my, one of the research on my lab um, is to see the relationship between amino acids and milk fat synthesis. And we were able to identify some amino acids other than the ones that we were generally looking at, like methionine, lysine, histidine, um, that play a role on the milk fat synthesis. So we found that the brain chain amino acids has an importance in there because of the signaling pathway with mTOR. So leucine, mainly leucine, but also in a second study, 
uh, we also saw a role of uh, isoleucine as well. So considering just these two aspects, we see that we can use amino acids to leverage, so leverage nutrition and enhance sustainability. Interesting. So you've highlighted new amino acids beyond methionine and lysine, which we often talk about. When nutritionists are considering formulation, uh, feed formulation, what should they keep in mind when they're formulating for individual amino acids? Or perhaps should they be looking at them as groups instead? For instance, looking at lysine and histidine or leucine and isoleucine? Um, I'm biased, right? But certainly uh, we have on the literature support to see that when you look to individual amino acids, we don't really fully explain the cause response, so the lactation uh, performance response. So looking uh, to the amino acid as a group, we have a, a better understanding uh, how those response or why the, the cause are response in a, in a certain way. Um, I, was, I had the opportunity to join a study uh, when I was doing my sabbatical at Virginia Tech at Hennigan's lab. And we evaluated groups of amino acids. One of the groups were uh, methionine, lysine, and histidine. The other groups were isoleucine and leucine. And we saw that the cause respond. So the groups of amino acids play a role independently, but also additively. And this is very important, in my opinion, because then open up um, new windows for us to investigate. So we can look at the, um, for the amino acids, but not only amino acids, so to the whole nutrient and energy in a different way. So we can see and try to understand the additive effects that they have. So that... That research was also important, in my opinion, um, to see or to we were open some windows, but also look at some old concepts and say perhaps we should abandon, like the uh, barrel stave uh, visual characterization of the first limiting amino acid, second limit amino acid. We know that we should move beyond that, right? So that concept. We should look in a more, again, holistic way. Is there a reason why you looked at these specific groups of amino acids? So let's say methionine, lysine, and histidine, and then leucine and isoleucine, and you referred to the roles as well. So what might be key differences between these groups of amino acids? So when, when there were some... Um, response in the literature that we could use. Like, so we know that methionine uh, play a role in there, uh, lysine play a role in there. We know that when we look at those amino acids and were, for example, decreasing um, the protein in the diet, but adding those amino acids, histidine was missing and then could impair some of the response. So it sort, sort of the basis behind um, behind that first group. The other one is we had also in the literature some effects from the brain chain amino acids. So we know that leucine play a role on the mTOR pathway that we know that is behind of the milk uh, 
the milk protein synthesis. We also use the same uh, basis for our hypothesis on the, the role of amino acid on the milk fat synthesis. So it's, it's looking at the, uh, the amino acid and see understanding the mechanism and how they can move towards. Uh, just a, an addendum to, to it, I think also, uh, it can also uh, open uh, a new frontier on the, on the research because we need to look on the competition between amino acids, on the transporters, and how the cells in the, in the mammary glands uh, will respond to uh, those supplies. And I think that's a way that are, is an area that we should also focus. Uh, just as a disclaimer on that first um, research that I told you that we are investigating the role of amino acid milk fat synthesis. Uh, we also had one of the treatments that we were omitting even no essential amino acids. And there was something there. And coming back again and making a link with um, a research that has been conducted on uh, Mark's Hennigan lab at Virginia Tech. So they are investigating the relationship between the brain chain amino acids and some non-essential amino acids and see how those competitions for transporters are um, and how the, the cows or the cells are responding to it. So I think um, there are new bright pathway for us to go in understanding, in better understanding the amino acids. Thank you for sharing these thoughts and these new findings with us. It goes beyond considering individual amino acids, but really considering the interconnectivity of them, looking at them as a system. That's research that was done in dairy cows. But before you joined the University of Idaho, of Idaho you've also done work in small ruminants, and they often get less attention than dairy cows. Since you've done lots of work on these uh, on dairy goat nutrition in the past, can you please share some of the key nutritional considerations that ruminant nutritionists should account for when they're formulating rations for dairy goats, especially when it comes to energy, protein, and mineral requirements? Uh, thank you for bringing that, Vicky. Um, for me, it was fascinating. I have always looked at um, small ruminants as a model, and that was the way for me for working uh, with them. But when I started working with small ruminants, especially goats, um, they opened so many opportunities and create so many opportunities to me. So I could figure out throughout my, um, I would say, more than uh, 10 years plus experience with small ruminants, um, I could realize some similarities that we definitely can uh, definitely can use small ruminants as a model for investigating uh, questions and understanding mechanisms that are harder for uh, for doing or conducting some research with cows or lactating cows. Uh, we did that, um, and just to give you some examples, we did that with understanding or seeing how the fiber are digesting the different compartments of the gastrointestinal tract, um, passage rate. So we, we could find that the growing goats that we were studying at, this, at that moment respond in similar way of the high producing cows and it's driven by dry matter intake. So 
growing goats have very uh, high dry matting take, uh, what is comparable with what we see with the high lactating um, cows. Uh, but also there were some things that were a little bit different. Uh, for example, when we look at uh, the efficiency uh, of the goats, because they are more selective, and then we could see uh, some energy efficiency that were higher, or again, connecting with uh, dairy cows or high-producing dairy cows, when we have a diet that is um, more uh, energetic dense, so we had similar uh, coefficients, uh, efficiency coefficient there. Uh, just exploring a little bit this opportunity to see what else we were able to understand or to investigate using goats. So we uh, carry out a, a series of trials to investigate requirements for um, growing animals, but also for pregnancy. And this would be really hard to do with cows. So on the pregnancy, I should focus on the pregnancy, for example, for minerals, we saw that we should, generally we neglect the requirements for pregnancy at the beginning of the pregnancy. And we saw that the animals require some nutrients, protein, energy, and minerals since the beginning of the pregnancy. And with account, adjust what are uh, what are the requirements uh, just focusing on minerals if we consider what are they out there for the on the feeding systems and what we found con uh, when we count for the whole pregnancy if we go for the feed systems we'd feed 40 percent more phosphorus than the goats uh, the pregnant goats would need uh, pretty much same amount of way more uh, on potassium than they would need. So just to show that I completely understand that it's hard to uh, carry out some trials with pregnancy or pregnant those or pregnant females, but we need to, to improve our understanding there. We also were able to show the, difference, uh, the differences on the efficiency of use uh, throughout the pregnancy that we suspect, it was our hypothesis, but we, we were able to show that it changes. So the efficiency of use of the, a given nutrient changes throughout the pregnancy. And also uh, with small ruminants, we have um, the difference if it's a single pregnancy or if it's a twin or triplet. Uh, and we also were able to show those differences and how the animals respond to that and the adjustments in, the, in their uh, female bodies. So um, I think those would be some of the, the points. So look at the pregnancy, look of the, let's abandon this fixed efficiency and look forward and look beyond uh, on that. So would be my keynote so from this previous experience. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now let's shift gears a little bit. How can we successfully integrate, integrate precision livestock measurements and management tools, such as precision livestock farming, farming and digital livestock farming? 
I know that in a previous paper, uh, you referred to the five principles for sustainable livestock implementation. So can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, sure. I think this is a hot topic, right? So we, pretty much everybody is pointing their eyes, eyes on uh, precision livestock farming. And there are so many um, tools out there that can be used, that can be applied. Uh, the industries uh, are offering us uh, some possibilities, and I think that's great because we need to improve that, right? And we need to understand this precision measurement that is what is there that we can measure, but also uh, the precision management. So how we can implement or uh, some tool that can be useful, but also um, is profitable, is possible to be implemented. So I think these two keys are important. You mentioned about the, the five principles, uh, and I think it's just to make an analogy. Remember, I'm, I'm a professor, right? So generally, I think how people can understand it better or making some analogies. It's just like the strategic um, management. So we will figure out what is there that is that is a need, implement, evaluate, and then go in a circle and see how we can, um, what are the adjustments that we can do. So in this sense, I think the first principle is, understand or recognize the performance gap. And as a performance gap, should we should understand that as what is the desired performance, what is the desired response, and the current response I'm having. So when I understand that gap, so I have a problem. So let's move on. And then um, work a little bit on data con uh, collection because so it sometimes can be overwhelming, right? So we have so many uh, possibilities there, but what is that that is possible? And then increase um, our data collection and evaluating what are the capabilities. So what is possible for my situation, for my dairy, for my farm, for my range? So I think this is also uh, something to, to look at. The other one would be determine what is the optimal, optimal uh, management solutions. So what is it that is out there that I can uh, implement? Inform and implement, and that's when we start looking at the modeling and how we can use modeling in there, because model, uh, models or modeling can be a very useful tool. Uh, when we look at precision, uh, precision uh, livestock farming, but we need to integrate that and go uh, beyond that and really see the response of the animals. And we have loops in there, right? So if the implementation does not work, if the data collection is not working a proper way, let's see. And how is the response on the performance gap is doing? So I'm getting the response, it's helping me uh, because now I'm measuring, I'm able to really understand what is there that I can um, improve, that can be uh, enhanced when I apply a given tool. 
So, and also when you go to the system level, uh, is it operating in a proper way? So is there a way or aware that I should revisit to see if the tool is proper, uh, properly used or if it's the best tool out there? So uh, that is in a brief way what uh, we should look. Those principles, in fact, I would look at them as um, filters, you know, how we can alter the filters that we can use for implementing uh, precision, uh, precision livestock farming. Interesting. So using this model and this framework as essentially filtering options. And you talked about management practices, right, as part of this. What nutritional solutions are you currently investigating or looking forward to investigate as strategies to enhance the sustainability of those dairy production systems? Okay. So... There are a couple of tools or solutions that we are looking at. And you just mentioned at the beginning that I joined University of Idaho last year. So last year, so the last past months, I've been dedicating to understand the real needs of the Idaho dairy. Idaho is the third largest milk produ uh, producers in, uh, in the U.S. So it's a um, dairy industry that is really important here. But we have some differences compared to the dairy in the East Coast. Um, for example, we still have lots of open lots. There are some uh, desire from some producers in look at or implementing some cross-ventilated barns. And those things are um, situations or scenarios that we look at, should look at. So going straight to your questions after this digression, uh, I've been, when I arrived, I've been, I was asked to look at two main nutrients, uh, nitrogen and phosphorus, because that's something important here with all the concerns, environmental concerns. Uh, and I use different strategies for them. Uh, in, regarding nitrogen, we are looking, uh, and then talking about tools, uh, we are developing a um, mobile-friendly web-based tool that we can refine the use of MUN, so mucrian nitrogen, to really understand the response of the animals, considering not only one thing, like Routine intake, but also considering other aspects um, on the diet, on the animal traits, uh, and the environment as well. So we are working, currently working on that, on this development, and it certainly involves modeling because we have we're gonna have modeling behind that too. Um, regarding uh, phosphorus, we uh, our strategy was. Let's look at the scenario. Let's look at how the phosphorus nutrition has changed uh, in the last years in Idaho. So our focus was uh, in Idaho. So we were able to revisit some diets formulations, some representative diet formulations from the early 2000s and current diet formulations. And we saw the difference in there. So, it decreased the amount of phosphorus in the diet, that's great. 
still a little bit above our requirement, but it improved. But we are also able to see changes in the ingredients on the major forages. Uh, for example, we are seeing that there are more dairies using some, um, for example, triticale as a, a forage. And it's, it makes sense because we have more dairies using triticale as a cover crop. Uh, just showing that the uh, alternatives for addressing the sustainability issues are there and it's changing diet at the end of the day or ultimately will change nutrition and how we should look at the whole scenario. So on the phosphorus, we were able, we are still working on that, uh, but we were able to see some areas or animal categories that we can still, that we still have room for working on. Uh, and we should uh, address those uh, questions in the future. Thank you so much. So you spoke about Idaho now being the third biggest state uh, in, in terms of importance for dairy production. How are you collaborating to address nutrition issues in your state and in the United States and to enhance dairy sustainability? Um, there are different ways. I think there are questions that are important to different states, right? Uh, for example, I've been collaborating with some uh, with peers in other states in the US. I still I have collaborations in Brazil. Uh, and those um, collaborations help me uh, to better understand and address some important uh, issues in the dairy uh, industry. Uh, within uh, Idaho, we, uh, I've been working on uh, with the dairyman itself, with some associations like the Idaho Dairyman Association, and we go back and forth uh, many times during the years in many meetings, and they have been great and uh, showing me and help me to understand the dairy industry in Idaho. The dairyman, um, the dairy producers in general in Idaho, they have been very welcoming. Uh, so they open up their dairies and sometimes their houses and talk uh, in a very frank and uh, honest way about their concerns. Um, and when I start doing those sort of needs assessment. It's a needs assessment, but I uh, decided to use in a different way. Instead of studying or sending a survey, we are visiting in, a pers uh, uh, in person and have very open conversations. And they brought some concerns that I was expecting, like nutrient management and how we can use nutrition for helping uh, um, on sustainability or the regulations uh, that are out there, but also some other concerns that for me was quite a surprise, uh, but makes total sense. Like something that is beyond the technical aspects of a professor, at least a nutrition, a ruminant nutrition researcher, right? Or extension. So mm -hmm. it has been really interesting. So you spoke about you know, really getting to meet the producers of Idaho. And I, ultimately, our audience at Rumination is people who are out in the field, nutritionists, veterinarians, producers. 
To wrap up our discussion today, can you share your three take-home messages for them when thinking of practical solutions to improve the dairy industry's sustainability? Certainly. Um, I, I would say that one of the first one is look at nutrition not as specific boxes like protein or amino acid or energy, but in a more um, interactive way. So how we can look uh, not only independently, but additive response. So look at energy and protein or fatty acids and amino acids together. Um, and that's one of our um, future research as well. The other uh, take-home message would see look at sustainability in a holistic way as well, because the majority of us think on sustainable. When we think on sustainability, we think on environment, and it's a very important topic. But we also need to look to other aspects of sustainability. If you ask a producer. Uh, what is sustainability for them? They would say sustainability is something that I need to pay attention because I want to continue in the industry. I, I want to continue my business. So it goes beyond um, environment. And I think look at sustainability, not in, in this burden world, but are this prohibit uh, word, but in a holistic way, understand and putting ourselves on uh, the producer's shoes uh, and, and see how we can move uh, towards that. And I think the last one uh, is something that I've been dedicated and willing to increase a little bit more in every visit with a producer, just highlight this as a red target, that is the importance of training. Because you can formulate the best diet ever if you don't have the workforce prepared to use that diet for feeding the cows in a proper way. doesn't matter. So uh, really value and dedicate to training. I think training would be really important. Well-trained workforce, well-trained young professional will help the nutritionists uh, at the academia or the industry to have better sample, to understand, because I'll go there and collect the sample, but if I don't know how to do that, or if I don't understand the importance of um, managing the cows in that way, or pushing the ration, or whatever, uh, we, have, we can be here talking about different examples. I think training is really important. Thank you for sharing that. And that really highlights the importance of looking at sustainability, like you mentioned, not only from an environmental perspective, but also from the social and financial or economic perspectives. Thank you so much, Dr. Texera, for being with us today, sharing your wisdom and your lived experiences. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I also want to thank our audience for being here with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to Rumination on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or other platforms. Feel free to visit jeffo.ca for more information. This podcast was brought to you by Jeffo Nutrition, precision nutrition for a growing world. Have a great day.